Welcome to Stock Odds, Odds and End Podcast. I'm Dave Singh here with Rob Friesen, getting ready for the week ahead. Good evening, Rob. How's everything? Not too bad. Thank you. Um, lots to discuss on the uh, earnings front, I understand. We had a we had an interesting Friday with kind of a, I call it, the, to me, it's the real start of earnings season is when the big banks report. And we had uh, JP Morgan, you know, knock it out of the park there. And, uh, you know, City and Wells Fargo, Bank of America, um, PNC, BLK, they were reporting. Um, you know, Bank was up uh, 3.36, City up 4.78, JP Morgan up 7.55. That was just on Friday alone. Um, so really big move. And it, it helped lift the financials, Visa, MasterCard, American Best, PayPal, all up. Um, asset management was up. Capital markets were up, except for Schwab. And insurance was down. PGR, CB, Travelers were down. Um, some international banks were down. Um, some of financial data providers, uh, you know, were kind of flat to break even. Um, you know, we had um, NVIDIA did pretty well on Friday, up 1.11%. Uh, Google up 1.34%. Now, I just want to rattle off for the week here how, how things went. Again, the financial uh, services area did did really well, except for insurance for the week. And um, we also had Meta up 2.49% for the week. We had uh, Lilly and Merck up more so than Johnny and Pfizer. Pfizer was actually down for the week. Um, in the industrial area, we had a, a few like Raytheon um, was up 3.53, but Boeing was down 4.57. A lot of that on Friday, I think, too. Um, Caterpillar was up 6.94. So that, that you know, usually responds to recession um, implications negatively. But this week it did fine, 6.94%. Deer was up. We had the oils um, hanging in there again. Chevron was up 2.86 for the week. Conoco 2.11%. Hess 5.71. The consumer defensive, most of them were down. Walmart was down. Target was down 2.77. Even Procter & Gamble was down. And uh, restaurants, uh, Starbucks was up 2.67. McDonald's 2.15. In the footwear area, Nike, we did a remarkable 4.77%. Home Depot and Lowe's slightly positive at uh, 1.24 and 1.82. Um, so the, we, I know we had some good movement the week before in like Intel and some of the semis, but uh, Intel was down 2.80 for the week. Microsoft down for the week 1.87, and Apple was just above unchanged at 0.33%. So that kind of gives you a picture of uh, what's happened. And now take us into some of the uh, upcoming earnings. Um, What are we expecting this week since it's getting to be rolling into not the the heaviest week of earnings, but starting to build for sure? Yeah, and there's lots in financials as well. So we have Charles Schwab, uh, State Street, M&T Bank, J.B. Hunt on Monday. Tuesday, there's Netflix. That'll be uh, a mover as well. Things like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Johnson & Johnson, Lockheed Martin, United Airlines, 
Wednesday, Tesla. That's going to be watched as well. Um, Abbott Labs, Ally Financial, Baker Hughes, Crown Castle. I mean, there's so many here. And not just in financials, LBS, Consumer Discretionary, Travelers, U.S. Bank Corp. And Thursday, a big one is American Express. Um, that'll also give light as to how the consumer or the high-end consumer is doing. Um, we've got AT&T, Nucor. There's just a lot. Xerox. So across the board, it's not just um, NASDAQ or anything. And, fr and Friday, uh, a couple more. Uh, Procter & Gamble and Slob. SLB for um, from for energy, and then in terms of uh, economic reports, Monday there is a manufacturing report, Empire State Manufacturing. Tuesday, housing starts and building permits. And then Wednesday at 2 p.m. Eastern, there's the release of the Fed Beige Book. Uh, it's always going to give some more insight into how the Fed's thinking. And then Thursday, jobless claims, initial jobless claims, and Friday. Um, services PMI and manufacturing PMI. So there's still a little bit of macroeconomic stuff in the mix there, but really going to be heavy on earnings. Okay. Um, as far as the the futures, what they're uh, doing now. Um, so the Dow Jones futures are up 64 points or 0.19 percent, and they're sitting, you know, pretty close to this year's high so far. So we've we've really uh, retraced uh, through the month of March and and just April so far. Um, we've continued to 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 build and head back to kind of where we came from at the beginning of the of the year here. Um, let me just see. Um, well, I mean, we're higher than the beginning of the year, but like I would say uh, the January 17th high and then again on February 14th for the Dow Jones, we're not far off from that. We're within spitting distance of that. Same thing on the S&P 500 futures here. We had February uh, 1st was, or February 2nd was our high, and that was at 4,208.50. And, you know, we're sitting um, as of, Friday's high there was 41.89. We're up 8.25 uh, points or 0.2% on the S&P 500 futures. NASDAQ, now this is where um, it actually made a new high for the year on uh, April the 4th. And that was uh, 13,348 on the NASDAQ 100 futures. And um, we're sitting just below that. So that that market has done the best for the year so far. And then the Russell is really, uh, you know, quite sad looking in the sense that it's it's down in the, um, you know, way down below its uh, February. What day was that? That was February 2nd as well, that it made a high at 2016.90. And you're sitting down at 17.97 now. Uh, it is up 5.4 or 0.3%. So across the board, they're all up slightly. And the VIX is um, down 0.83% right now. It's almost a percent. The interesting thing about the VIX is it's just sitting on its February the 2nd low, which coincides with the February 2nd high of the S&P. Now, I went back and looked at... Uh, 
going back in history all the way to 2006. And it looks like many, many Aprils and Mays are actually the lowest volatility periods of the year. Um, so even though we're, you know, have earnings season and so on, the exception to that would have been April of 2022, where the VIX shot up. As you know, the market was kind of pulling back substantially um, in 2022. That was one of the months that the VIX shot up a lot. Um, and then, of course, in 2020, when we had COVID, um, the VIX uh, shot up um, high in March and it pulled back through April. So it was declining, but it was still quite elevated. But other than those two years, if you look at even 2021, the low of uh, the low month almost in the uh, VIX was in April um, and many years back to 2006, April and May were the lowest. So um, there is this potential that the VIX does decline from where it's at at 1820 now. We're sitting at 1820. It could head down towards uh, 15 you know, by the end of May. It all depends on, you know, any other macro themes or something like that. So what what does that mean? A lower VIX does potentially support the market, meaning the market could could rise and actually, you know, take out that high that we set earlier this year. That's that's entirely possible. Um, but I also find that there's this backdrop of a lot of, you know, articles, things that have been talked about, about, you know, us moving lower from this point, you know, heading into a serious correction. And one of it, one of those articles relates to sort of the liquidity that's available uh, in support of equities after tax season. That might be why we often have the, the sell in May and go away um, theme. So, there's that, uh, I guess, aspect of, of a potential decline from this point. There's actually something else that I, I an article that I found interesting was um, it was uh, Nardelli talking about uh, uh, some things on on coast to coast. He said we got Walmart not only laying people off, closing stores, we got Accenture laying people off, we got Amazon closing distribution centers. So I think there's a tremendous mixed message, Nardelli said. Um, the former CEO continued saying that the complexity of the U.S. economy is different than anything he has seen in his 52 years. The complexity of the U.S. economy. So when I, when I hear that, what I think about is there's so much different messaging. There's so many different problems to solve. There's so many different aspects of of you know what the market's trying to factor in versus what the Fed's saying versus what the politicians have to deal with with the debt ceiling and things like that. We've got the Ukraine Russia uh, situation still in play. We've got the Taiwan thing. You know we've got uns unsettled um, activity in the Middle East, and so um, the economy's facing a, a lot of these pressures. Plus you've got the geopolitical environment, and what that could mean for us is this back and forth action of the market, right? Expecting a lot of chop, expecting a lot of mean reversion, expecting, you know, lack of conviction uh, on either side, um, lack of trends for 
longest sustained periods of time. We just had a pretty good one coming off of the banking crisis lows. Um, but, you know, we've now that we've risen up and we could be going into uh, an event where there is less liquidity and there is potentially the sell in May and go away. So um, we don't know what's going to happen, but we can expect, you know, trading triggers, catalysts, events, and activity that to me is largely uh, distribution, chop, you know, reverses, things like that. So I like I like the environment that we have and that we're potentially going to continue in for what we do, which is relationship-based trading, which is basket trading and so on. Um, so, you know, historically uh, from this arena of basket trading, we've seen a lot of samples of 0.1% return on capital. That doesn't sound like a lot. But if you drop the hammer every day and you persist at improving, and Dave and I were talking a bit earlier about approaching the market each day with a risk on um, kind of framework with your list selection. So you're, you're, you've actually purposely selected things that would fit a risk on model. Also, you would have a sample that would be a risk off model. And then you would have something that would be quite neutral, very quantitative, very uh, unassuming in, in terms of direction of the market at all. Obviously, a risk on model assumes, you know, an upward direction and a risk off model assumes a downward direction. But rather than, you know, have direct exposure to just only buying or selling the futures, or the SPY, you know, something like that, you would be selecting a list of equities that most represents the things that would be accumulated under a risk-on environment. And likewise, with a risk-off off environment, you would be selecting those things that respond better to that. There may be more defensive and so on. So you'd be selling riskier assets and buying more defensive assets. So you don't have to choose a side, like you don't have to open yourself up to that. You can be very quantitative in the sense of being balanced in your sectors and, you know, having uh, just a, a really good variety, a good mix, a good um, sort of neutral position in everything that you're doing. And that's fine. But there are days where you possibly could take advantage of what the market's already telling you right take advantage of some buy side activity so we could have that tomorrow and possibly for this week it's it's possible we're going into mid-month seasonality so is there any you know, candidates that you see in terms of like what sectors, Dave, are best represented by mid-month seasonality strengths and which ones are best re representing mid-month weakness? What do you see? Yeah, yeah from the long side, uh, industri industrials, XLI, XOP, discretionary materials, uh, regional banks, KRE. And then on the short side, um, there's oil, some of the ARC funds, ARC-KK, XBI, so biotech, IBB, 
uh, and retail XRT. So those are the, the ETFs that are most favored. And some of the individual stocks that are examples would be like Qualcomm from the from the lawn site, Intuitive Surgical, uh, American Express. On the short side, some of the meme stocks, GameStop, uh, Snap, Square. So it is a bit more quality long and some of the higher beta stuff short. And in, t- in terms of the um, mid-month seasonality, the S&P is expected to do minus 0.02, so pretty much flat. The NASDAQ a little bit worse, and same with the um, small cap. So it's not a very eventful mid-month seasonality for, for April, but um, there is some. Okay. Um, yeah, so you know, if, if you take a look at um, maybe a lackluster week in terms of the market, you know, it's not one of those you know, staring in your face uh, strong or weak uh, periods of time, but we've just had We've just had a, a reasonable run here for the last couple of weeks, and um, you know we're sitting into uh, you know obviously this this tax season um, influence, right? So you know they just they just stress that uh, there seems to be a lot less liquidity in the markets uh, in the weeks following. Uh, so you know I always thought that. Um, April was, you know, a reasonably performing month, but it, it's, you know, not historically that way. It's a, uh, it's actually, you know, slightly down for the month, which is interesting from from what I perceived before looking at the seasonality, right? So, um, looking at uh, where we are with the dollar is going to be very important. Uh, because we were having this nice pullback on the dollar, and then we had a move on Friday that launched it back up. Um, and right now we're sitting up slightly at 0.13. Um, so it's hard to say whether you know that will continue tomorrow or not. But I think if it if we get a follow through to the upside. Um, then just be careful of your basic materials and your gold and stuff like that because, you know, gold was really impacted on Friday. Uh, let's see, uh, bringing it up here. Gold gold took out all of Thursday's movement up um, and some of Wednesday as well. Actually took out Wednesday, went almost to the low of uh, Tuesday. So. Very substantial move, and um, it'll be important because it's still above this $2,000 level here. It's at 2017, so it's kind of sandwiched between 2050 and 2000. So a break, uh, you know, either way will be important. Let's look at energy. Energy's uh, been stable after it had the OPEC announcement of the cut, which is supposed to come in May but it's been stable at the $80 level. And then it actually uh, rose a little bit towards 83, sitting currently at 82.60. So um, we haven't been able to, to fill that gap uh, from Monday's uh, you know big move there. And it's uh, building on it slightly. So uh, oil, uh, we may have seen, uh, you know, the lows might be in for this year because normally, Dave, we always have, um, a bit of a rally in uh, May and June in oil because of the 
you know, holiday sort of summer, summer demand and stuff like that. So then it tapers off, you know, to towards August and stuff like that. Um, so it could be, we could see another bit of that too. And that would might take us up to the words, the $90 area, especially if the cuts actually start in May, like they're supposed to. So um, prepare, prepare for that a little more expensive uh, gas at the pump again. You don't want to head back there, Dave, do you? California back to what? <laughs> we have like eight bucks at one point. Yeah, that was the highest, $8. What do you got now? About five fifty in most places. Yeah. Well, I mean, it could could in the summer head back towards maybe uh, six fifty or seven or something. You know, you never know. Yep. Um, what else? What the bonds are doing here? Because you know that was um, the bonds have been trying to figure this FOMC thing out. So we had a big run up into the first week of April. That was the banking uh, crisis sort of saying to us that uh well the fed probably won't be able to be that aggressive under these situations and potentially you know may might be the last hike for this year and then this last week here we started pulling back again which meant that yields were rising and they're saying well fed still has to stay committed to raising rates so May may not be the last one, and uh, inflation is still a bit of a problem out there, even though the pace of the inflation declined, uh, and some of the job, uh, you know, news said that uh, you know things are working in terms of slowing the economy, uh, but the market is trying to, I think, get ahead of itself here and assuming that the Feds would. Would have to be dovish and go easy on us, but not the case. So uh, their bonds are pulling back, which um, means rates are rising, which meant that the dollar, you know, didn't continue to descend. And Friday popped up a little bit there. So that's where we're sitting. Um, yeah, I mean, what do you got in economic news this week? Anything? Yeah, we just had. Um initial jobless claims uh, so on monday we have um empire state manufacturing and then home builder confidence so some housing information tuesday housing starts building permits wednesday beige book thursday initial jobless claims and existing home sales and then friday is the u.s services pmi and manufacturing pmi so yeah a bit of uh, employment data and housing seems to be heavier in those themes Okay. Um, so it looks like China's pumping in more liquidity while keeping key rate on hold. Um, that might be positive for Chinese stocks. Okay. Um, I don't understand things like this. Uh, it says business confidence up sharply at the biggest firms, and then office space occupancy remains around 50% across U.S. metros. So 50% off occupancy in the business office space, and yet business confidence is up sharply. <laughs> okay. So again, this is goes back to my theme of a lot of mixed messaging and a lot of confusing data points in U.S. economics, 
which I think is ultimately good for trading, right? <clears throat> Anything you have left? No, I just think this okay. AI would be a, a kind of some kind of swan, gray, black, white, because um, there was some Goldman Sachs report too that 300 million jobs already can be identified as being replaced instantly by some of the AI stuff that's going on, right? So this could accelerate the, the less need for actual employment worldwide, like very rapidly, and that could be extremely deflationary, right? So we went from a period of super high inflation, we could go to super deflation. I mean, who knows? Well, that's that's a good point. It, it's something that we've mentioned on the show before about it wouldn't surprise us to have a dramatic pivot. What what tends to bother me with um, monetary policy is that the decisions that are made are based on what we know is currently happening or has happened in the past. So they're, the, the data points are quite laggy in that sense. I mean, even, even our leading indicators and economic reports are like, well, this was March's numbers. You know, I mean, it's not, it's not May's numbers because we haven't got there yet. Forward looking in that sense, it's only past looking. Um, and so then we manipulate money flow and monetary policy and things like that. And what if that just made it worse? Like what if it had been left alone to be self regulating, self-balancing, you know, rather than interfering. So uh, I think the interfering process, if you get it wrong, could mean that where you suddenly have unintended consequences and you go from, you know, they're trying to get to a 2% inflation target, which they keep talking about. And, you know, they, they press the pedal in that direction too hard. And all of a sudden, you know, you're back into serious deflation. And there's pros and cons for both in a sense, but probably what's ultimately worse is a serious deflationary environment because then people stop buying stuff. Because if you knew that, you know, that nice jag that you wanted to buy was uh, going to be half price next year, why would you buy it this year? You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, that's a dramatic example, but you, you know, I only speak to those jag drivers. <laughs> yeah, you see it in TVs every year too, right? Like huge TVs, like, well, wait six more months and it'll be half the price too. The same, <laughs> same principle. All right. Well, um, that's good thought there. And definitely guys, uh, watch the dollar. Uh, very important. Um, you know, be careful of your uh, small cap space. Uh, they, it seems to be one where they, uh, if you if you do get a risk on day, they really like to buy these small caps. But if the market is in a serious negative sentiment and declining, uh, then a lot of that stuff just gets uh, run over. And hedging with IWM, you really have to move towards uh, beta hedging because um, you know dollar to dollar uh, hedging doesn't help you on those big down days so you got you got to be prepared for that if you're going to play in the in the small cap space it's a great place to play for you know when you get those risk on days or when you get a gap down on the market um it works well too because of the higher beta volatility of the small caps but if they gap up a lot and they were to pull back from that point that's a risk if they uh 
open down just slightly and the sentiment's really bad and they sell off for the whole day and it'll, you know, end up being down three, four, five percent on average, uh, you're going to find it hard to, uh, you know, make money if you don't uh, stay on top of that. So small caps, if you're going to play in that space, they require more finesse, more art form um, or limit order consideration, uh, more uh, hedging. Uh, dynamics, capital changes, taking advantage of the moves, taking advantage of the type of day. Um, so if you're not comfortable with that, then just continue to live in, you know, the uh, S&P 500 area of the more liquid uh, stocks. You know, it, it's more efficient, but also you don't run that higher element of risk. OK. All right, we'll close it off. Thanks for your time, right. Dave. Good luck. Thanks.